you have 135 IMDb credits, and the joke. <laughs> and, and the, well, the, the joke. There's a punchline here. There's a punchline here. Um, but you also, and not listed on IMDb, appear in my dreams. Okay. There's three comedians. You're one of three comedians, David Letterman and Jerry Seinfeld, who appear in my dreams. I'm not get. I'm not getting. Wow, that's to criticize my comedy. <laughs> <laughs> I, initially, I thought you were going to lobby IMDb to include that on their. Oh yeah, they should. Listings. <laughs> Maybe somebody could pull that off. Hey, everybody, we are back with a new episode of Working It Out. We are so excited about our guest today, David Cross. A uh, couple things before we get uh, going. We just announced a show. I'm doing my tour, The Old Man in the Pool, in Washington, D.C. After people shouting at me at the internet. Meanwhile, I was always planning to come. Um, <laughs> the, uh, come see me in Charlotte. There's still tickets left in Charlotte. Special guests, Atsuko Akatsuka, uh, Indianapolis, Dallas, Chicago. I'm doing four weeks at the Steppenwolf. We just announced, uh, five weeks in Los Angeles at the Taper Theater, which is a gorgeous theater in Los Angeles. Of course, I'll be in London. Uh, we are, we are adding a third show in London, uh, and then Paris and, uh, Iceland. Today on the show, we have David Cross. David Cross has a new stand-up comedy special uh, out uh, this month called I'm From the Future, and uh, it's now available internationally through his website, officialdavidcross.com. David is someone who I've admired uh, for so long and is so absolutely committed to whatever he's doing, whether he's doing his own stand-up special or... He's uh, starring in The Increasingly Poor Decisions of Todd Margaret, or he's uh, co-creating and starring and writing on Mr. Show, which is essentially one of the seminal sketch comedy shows of all time. And, of course, his role as Tobias on Arrested Development. David and I have a really funny run-in many years ago. I've known him for a long time, but we had a funny run-in that we talk about today. It's very awkward, but also, like, very fun and funny, and maybe I'll end up being a story I tell on stage or something eventually. Um, so I hope you enjoy my conversation with the great David Cross. You and I have similar age children. My daughter's six and a half and, and yours is almost five. Yeah. And it's like, at a certain point, like, you do have this mix of, like, you're a cynical person. Like, you're a comedy writer, for God's sakes. And, like, you have a, that's what makes you great. You're, you, you have a critical eye for, I think you even make this joke in the special of, like, yeah, I'm cynical because I'm looking around. Yeah. But you also want to have optimism on behalf of your child. Yeah, well, I touch uh, on that a little bit in Oh, Come On, and then uh, in the latest special that you can't, it's unfair and selfish to be cynical uh, around your kids. And I've caught myself a couple times um, where she'll ask me a question and or make a statement that I, uh, my immediate response is jokey and, and that joke is rooted in cynicism and about 
what the world's like. It's not really like that kid, you know, or whatever the thing is. And I have to bite my tongue and I can't say anything and I don't say anything. I just keep it to myself. But there's so, I, I find myself, I'm, I'm not a good liar. I don't like lying. I don't even like exaggerating. I don't yeah. like when my friends exaggerate. Yeah. Um, I mean, to a point, to a, like people, it's annoying to people and I get it. I get why I'm annoying where I won't <laughs> let you exaggerate. <laughs> and it's a fault. It's a problem I've had since I was young. I think it's because, uh, you know, my wife speculates that it's because my, my dad was a pathological liar. And, oh. and I just, I can't take, like, I won't let you, like, if, if you and I experience something and we were having a conversation with somebody and you're like, oh, man, it was, uh, we had, it was, it was really cold and we had to walk. It was, it was like, it was like, uh, um, it was like freezing and, um, and we and I think that you know we had to walk like two and a half miles to the restaurant and be like, no, it was like forty degrees and uh, it was like a mile and it doesn't matter why nobody cares it doesn't I first of all I, but I would also say I don't know why you're exaggerating nobody gives a shit whether it was thirty two degrees or forty why are you make why are you adding <laughs> you know and why are you adding a mile and a half to the walk it's still like but I'm that asshole so I, I that is to say that I it's hard for me to constantly lie to this kid you know i have the same thing i mean my my wife and i both jen and i both have a thing where we had a parent who really stressed holidays it was really important to them christmas thanksgiving whatever and both of us are like fuck holidays <laughs> yeah you know but now it, that you have a kid is no it but now we do it for her we do yeah. it, we do same it for her yeah yeah Dude, I celebrate Christmas. I you know I was brought up Jewish, and uh, uh, I mean Reformed. It was never really that important, but it was important to my mom. The you know the basic big holidays, doing Passover and having the Seder and doing Hanukkah and lighting the candles, all that stuff. And now she lights the candles and she has a Christmas tree. Yeah, you know. I think I was in Aspen Comedy Festival in like two thousand. I want to say like two or three. And you, that's where that's where you that's where you were uh, you started doing stand up in Aspen, the great. Uh, it's such a <laughs> comedy town, right? That's where you got your start. The first four years you were yeah, in Aspen, yeah. cut no, your I, teeth. I grew up. My yeah, nights. no, I was raised in the. I did. I did yachts in the summers, and I did uh, <laughs> skiing in the winters. <laughs> yes. right. And it's a great circuit. Both of those are great circuits. But it was uh, no, no. I, I it was funny because I was I was a you know young comic, early twenties, and in in. I, I went skiing. I was at this festival. And I got. I went skiing, and they were. And I. I got a, a like a phone call on the slopes. Like, they want you to be on Bob and David's show. They're hosting. And oh wow, yeah. And it was a huge deal for me. Like I. I don't even think I knew you at the time. And it was like it was. And I was so nervous. And I. And I drank before I went on stage. And that does not seem like you at all. It's not like me at all. It, yeah. It's pure nerves. But then combination of the elevation oh, yeah. and the and the drink made me sort of like sort of terrible. And uh <laughs> but it was uh I thought you were gonna get the funniest human in history. But the way that you hosted with Bob, it's a very one of a kind way that you approach it, which is it's sort of like these there's audience plants and it's, it's sort of a deconstruction of hosting. And in some ways, is sort of the DNA of what Mr. Show was, which is like you're you're hosting a thing in this odd way, and it sort of becomes 
sketches. Well, yeah, I mean, partly, yeah. And Bob, uh, I saw Bob's, uh, before I really knew him very well, I, I saw his uh, one-man show, which also had uh, Andy Dick uh, doing some stuff in it. But he was doing it at the old, uh, it was a theater in Santa Monica, not the upfront, but it was a, it might have been the upfront. I don't know. It was, this would have been back in 90, before Mr. Show, so 94 maybe, 93, something like that. I just come to L.A. And we had worked on the Ben Stiller show. We were not close. He was actually kind of rude to me. And uh, um, and then I saw his show, and I was like, oh, shit. This is, there's, there's a lot of similar elements to my sensibility about putting a show together, you know, which which I had cross comedy as a reference. And, and he certainly had those elements too. And so those two things together, you know, married very well to make Mr. Show is uh, what it was. I was watching the CBS This Morning piece that, that they did on you uh, a couple of years ago. And mm-hmm. they interviewed Bob and it really was heartwarming. It's like one of the more heartwarming things I've ever seen in a comedy story, which is that he, they, they're like, how long do you think you'll collaborate with David? And he goes, I think till we die. Like, he's yeah. like, I don't see us ever not collaborating. I was like, you never see that. You don't see it with bands. You don't see it with anybody. It's it, what we have is is very special for sure. And, uh, you know, we both feel the same way. And the, the success, I think, is just sort of respecting and listening to each other and yeah. really listening to each other. And occasionally, one person, you know, you feel very, very strongly and you, and another person feels, somewhat strongly about the the opposite way <laughs> yes. but the person who feels very strongly and if you can sell it uh kind of wins you yeah know, there's not like that's never going to be the thing that drives a wedge in us and we're actually doing um something uh bob and i and his brother bill it's not a done deal so i can't go too much into it but we're going to be doing something for um uh, up and coming streaming network <laughs> thing, and uh, we have a limited series uh, in the work. It'll be eight episodes, and uh, it's not a sketch show; it's a, a story. But it's uh, it's really cool. It's very funny, and just the process of um, we haven't been able to be in the same room, unfortunately. But as we've been developing it, and a lot of this came when I was stuck in Toronto. For six months and um, like truly stuck, you know, COVID stuck yeah, over yeah. the last last winter into the summer, and it was a deeply depressing, difficult time. Uh, and those hour, hour and a half, two hours that we would spend, you know, once every 10, 12 days on a Zoom, coming up with ideas. I mean, I it was you know life saving. I, I just haven't been able to laugh that much. Yeah, you know? I mean there. Just that process I missed, too. I missed doing stand-up. The other thing that I missed that was, like, palpable was being in a writer's room. Yeah. And just sitting around and, uh, you know, there's a lot of difficult times and frustrating things where you, like, how does does this character get here if it's closed and it's Sunday and his car won't start? You know, all those things that are pains in the asses to figure out in a writer's room. But just the fun part of before you have all that other responsibility of coming up with joke beats and things and with two of the funniest guys you know is just i mean what a treat yeah so in the sort of lineage of sketch comedy in the last like few decades 
there was this thing that came up where Chappelle, like a couple of years ago, was like he like tried to burn like Key and Peel and was like, "Oh, you took my format or whatever." And it's like of like oh, doing please. a monologue into sketches. And I'm like, you saw Mr. Show, right? Like in the '90s. Well, that wasn't even Mr. Show. I mean, other people did monologue. Carol Burnett, right? Yeah, Carol Burnett. Yeah, yeah. With it's, the a, it's very old form, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. Um, no, Key and Peele were, uh, I mean, was the last really great sketch show. I think, I think so too. I, it's unbelievable. Yeah, they completely were holds up. Yeah, absolutely. It's <laughs> when you and Bob were coming up with that. Was uh, was Carol Burnett? Were, like, what were the models there? Well, we came up with Carol Burnett. Not, nobody knows this. We were very, very young. I, I, I want to say brilliant. I was, I was five and Bob was seven, I believe. Um, and then we came up with Key and Peele. <laughs> we do a thing on the show called The Slow Round. So... Like, do you have a smell that you remember from childhood that's really good or really bad? Uh, sure. Uh, I mean, my my Rolodex is spinning out. I'm trying <laughs> to think. Um, uh, so I used to swim, like a uh, uh, um, competitive swimming. Oh no, from, kidding! Really? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Uh, from when I was like five to fourteen, I think. Um, and I was good. I mean, I was, I was, I you know went to state invitationals and junior AAU and all kinds of stuff. But I would have practice at this place. I think it was in Connecticut. I moved around uh, quite a bit when I was a kid. And the smell, in, in particular, this is an indoor pool, and the smell of the chlorine, which was uh, a very, very potent, uh, strong, I would, I would guess perhaps deadly uh, <laughs> amount of chlorine because I've certainly smelled chlorine before, <laughs> but deadly. I remember it. And I remember being like, you know, you'd have to go rinse off and shower and stuff. And then being in my, and I had a little uh, bag with all my wet shit in it and a towel and stuff. Yeah. And, uh, and being out there still kind of wet in like, uh, uh, you know, uh, half puffy jacket kind of thing and waiting for my mom to pick me up and there was a vending machine, and if I didn't have any money, I had skinny, long enough arms, probably just right at that age. Any younger, I wouldn't have been able to reach it. Any older, my arm would have been too big, but yeah. I was at that sweet spot year where I could get the my arm up and into oh the, where the sky bar was and get it, and I would always steal a sky bar. So I'm going to go with the the specifically over-chlorinated smell. Oh, my gosh. It's so funny. My new show that I'm touring with is called The Old Man and the Pool, and it's about how really? I go to the YMCA pool <laughs> as a kid, and it's all I think about. It's the, the smell of chlorine. I say, like, I don't know what the hell kind of heinous crime they were covering up with that chlorine. Like some, Wow, that's a, wild. Yeah, right? there's like a mob hit in the middle of the night. They're like, do we dig a ditch or do we bring the body down to the YMCA? <laughs> I got a family membership, you know? And it's like, but that chlorine, you know, and I even talk about the the snack machine room with the coffee maker that also makes soup, you Dude, know? Dude, we're, we're on a psychic wavelength. Do you ever do you have a memory of a, a version of yourself in your life that was inauthentically yourself, and you kind of cringe thinking, "Oh God." Uh, yeah. I mean, I I certainly had. Uh, I, I would put it. I would chalk it up as trying too hard. And again, I moved around a lot, um, so I was I was the new kid a lot, 
but I was never truly cool enough to be like, because I had these kind of underlying punk aesthetics, but I was never cool enough to, or confident enough to just do it, to just, yeah, you know, uh, shave my head or do, do, do anything like do the things that, and, uh, I did have that kind of a new wave period when I was a, uh, I guess a junior and senior in high school where I had a pork pie hat and it had a bunch of buttons on it and uh, like band name buttons. And uh, and I had this chartreuse jacket I had gotten from Trash and Vaudeville in New York City on St. Mark's and I had a skinny tie. Yeah, yeah, um, sure, sure. um, But it was, but I only halfway did it. You know what I mean? Like I didn't fully commit and there was a period where when I moved, uh, I was born in Georgia and then I moved to Florida and lived uh, there and then I lived in a bunch of places in Connecticut and New York and then moved back to Georgia in Roswell, Georgia when I was uh, nine. And I swore I wouldn't have any any Southernisms be a part of my oh, DNA. Like I, yeah. I fought it and I, and you know, uh, it, to my own uh, uh, detriment, like I, I wouldn't eat barbecue for you know. You, you mean barbecue is truly probably my favorite food. Wow! And I spent f- five, six years like I don't want fucking ribs, right? You know, because I was just some stupid kid who was like I don't want to be southern or whatever. So all that kind of stuff. I never I fought any kind of southern uh, language uh, idioms or any of those things, and, and certainly didn't have an accent and. Uh, but after I'd say by around the time I was thirteen, maybe, uh, I found myself dipping and <laughs> went for real. And uh, do you remember? Uh, you mean tobacco? Tobacco. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, like chew. Yeah, there yeah. Was, uh, Red Man and Wintergreen or yep. what, uh, whatever. Oh yeah. The fucking thing. I used to and use that was, stuff. Yeah. And there was a. Uh, uh, skull and Copenhagen oh, yeah. dip. Oh yeah, and then there was the chew, the this, chewing tobacco. This is bringing it all back because I, tried, the, you know, this is for me. I'd forgotten about this for thir- twenty yeah. years or whatever. Yeah, and then the jacket, the sleeveless puffy jackets. Oh and, god, uh, yeah, and uh, and um, a big belt buckle. I don't know if oh, that was ever never part did of that. Your thing. I never did that. No, the big belt buckle and uh, you know, and you. Dip with your, or you chew with your cup, your red cup, and uh, spit into it. And, and and I, it didn't last very long, but there was like a good, you know, three four months, you know, yeah. and uh, riding your BMX bike up, you sure. know, building homemade ramps and yeah. jumping stuff. And, oh yeah, and and it was so not me, <laughs> <It's> so <laughs> not me. But it was, you know, uh, I mean, what, what were you going to do? You were in Roswell in the seventies. But you know what's you know? you know what's funny about you is like. Is like you're com- you talk about being like half committed to these personas or whatever it is. When I think about your comedy, I literally think of commitment. Like it's the thing. Like I remember seeing you in Comic Relief in the '90s do this thing with Bob, where like you do an improv game and it seems like it's an improv yeah. game, and then you're basically tricking him into being completely naked in yeah. like Radio City Music Hall, and. Yeah. And it's in, it was insane. Like, I was there live, and I was like, this is the craziest piece of stagecraft I've ever seen, ever. It, it was it was really fun. We did that a couple <laughs> times. And um, and certainly nobody expects him to be. And he is naked. 100% He's got a naked. Over He's completely dick, naked. Completely naked. And, uh, and, and then I, <laughs> and then, um, 
Uh, I'll tell you the funniest thing about that. After we did that bit, uh, which, uh, again, we've done live. Uh, we had done it a number of times. But um, we did that, and it cut to Whoopi Goldberg. It threw to Whoopi Goldberg to introduce the next thing. And her comment after that, after we did that crazy bit, was she kind of shook her head and rolled her eyes and went, I must be getting old. No. Yeah. Yes. No. Like you, oh, you got to be kidding me. So... Oh, I have a visitor. Oh. Oh, thank you. Wait, what does it say? It's for you and mommy. Oh, mommy and daddy. Is that a race car? Uh-huh. Oh, nice. And it's a rose? And there's a whole bunch of roses. That's not a rose. Oh, it's not a rose. It's a stop sign. Oh, it's a stop sign. Oh, yeah, it's, it's there. I don't have my glasses on. You're right. I can see it right there. Um. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you so much, sweetheart. Here, when when you say hi to Mike, hang on a second. Hey, I my name's Mike. I'm a friend of your dad's, and I think he's fantastic. Do you know what fantastic means? Yeah. What does it mean? It means that it's awesome. It's awesome. Oh, it's awesome. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's a kid's fantastic. All right. Well, thank you very much for that uh, that that picture. Thank you very much, sweetheart. Bye. Uh, Let's. Mike's going to compliment me some more. Okay. <laughs> I feel like to this day, my wife Jen and I reference your Ginsburg, and I'm not there, <laughs> and like, like, because you really feel like you're like channeling Ginsburg in a certain well, way. Thanks. I. Yeah, that was. Uh, um, well, then I did my homework. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, then it worked. Yeah. Good. It's amazing. And then like, and then like. On Arrested Development, you play Tobias, who couldn't be farther from what you're like. No, I know. <laughs> like, I, like, he is completely unaware of himself. And yeah. he, and I would describe you, you know, for better or worse, as completely aware of yourself. Like, like you're hyper-focused. Too, too a little, little too aware. A little yeah. too self-aware, meaning also too self-centered. <laughs> um, yes. Uh, I'm the... Um, I'm the son of my world. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, that's the that's the fun of doing those those roles, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's I and I mean, few things have been more fun than uh, than playing Tobias. With the, also the writing was so much fun, and they wrote to some of my strengths too, yeah. which which was nice. Like you know, pretty quickly they let me be physical and and then started. Uh, incorporating that into the script, so that was fun. I feel like as an actor, you're not judging him as a character. Like you're, you actually. I feel. Does it make you understand people who are, who are less self aware by playing that part? Uh, I mean, I'd like to say yes, but not. I I think the whole thing is in such a heightened world, you yeah. know, where where no one is normal, like the cops and the doctors and the. Yeah. newscasters are yeah, yeah, all yeah. a little silly. Yeah. And uh um if if the rest of the world was more grounded, I probably would, you know. Yes. Uh, but it's it's just a re- it's really fun and it's uh one of the few things I've gotten to do where you know, you kind of have an idea of who the character is and you're sort of find it as you're doing the first certainly the pilot and the first couple episodes and then by the time you're doing, you know, season 4, you're like, oh, I got this. I know exactly. It's it's like putting on an old coat, you know. Yeah. And uh, um, 
it's kind of fun to just get into to that headspace and then also working with such a uh talented cast too you know um but i i can't i wouldn't say i i guess i've never thought of that yeah that's how self-centered i am (laughs) (laughs) um what's the best piece of advice that you've ever received that you used oh uh i can say i've received a lot but the absolute best was when uh when amber was pregnant with marlo and i was new new dad first dad first time dad and uh I was doing a show with Jon Stewart and he gave me the best advice, which is, and I think of it almost daily, never take anything personally. Oh, that's interesting. And I have thought about it, as I said, almost daily. There's cause to think of it uh, almost daily. I've seen other people take a child's behavior personally. It's hard not to do sometimes. It's really hard not to do. Yes, sure. And, but I, I... I think of that all the time. Yeah. Um, and then another piece of advice, uh, again, this is, uh, but I want to pass it to you because it's, it's such, it's so smart, is Bob said when he was raising his kids, he would always use synonyms without really saying that's what he was doing. Sure. Um, so that their vocabulary would expand. Yes, that's really In a nice. very natural way. So, so I, you know, um, or even using opposites too. I do that with Marlo all the time, you know, like, uh, um, well, he, he's very angry. He's upset, you know, something as yeah, simple as that. Sure. And, and always trying to find a synonym for those things. But those two pieces of advice, uh, I use daily. Yeah. I think that's really, really smart. And the, the first one, I just, I just wanted to mention, so that I could say that I'm friendly with John Stewart. That's hilarious. That's the. That's really. If you're going to find a moral in that story, it's that's what I want you to walk away with. So I told you I was going to bring this up. Um, mm-hmm. So a few years ago, you and I did a show in Texas together where you hosted and you introduced me to the stage. Mm-hmm. And, you, oh, right. yep. and you told yeah. a story <laughs> that I've been holding in for years yeah. and years and years, which is, I don't, I wouldn't, I would never in a million years tell this without your permission. But if you're okay with it, I think it's a really funny story. Oh, yeah. It's great. And it, and. What was so great was our two perspectives. On yes. It. Uh, so yes. Okay, I'll tell mine. Story. I'll tell mine. So basically, 2008, I'm doing Sleepwalk with Me, which is like my first solo show, and it was like Nathan Lane presented. And it was like a really like it was just like a seminal moment where I went from being like someone who could be a comedian to someone who could have my own show and sit it and that kind of thing, and. And and uh, I was going to be on The View the next day. And my mom <laughs> loves The View. <laughs> and it was like a big deal. Like it was, it was, it, so my mom came to the show because the next day I was going to be on The View. And that night, Joy Behar 
from The View came to the show uh, because I was going to be on the next day, so she wanted to see it. And it just so happened I did this this segment every week, like every Wednesday, where it would be a guest like you or Janine Garofalo did it, Zach Galifianakis did it. It would do a thing called an awkward 10 minutes with Mike after the show, and we would just sort of tell stories back and forth. And it was just sort of like this very loose segment. And my mom's in the audience, and Joy Behar's in the audience. <laughs> and, and I say, please welcome to the stage, David Cross. The show is over at this point. People are still in the audience. Please welcome to the stage, David Cross. You come up, and I say to you, I go, you know, my mom is here tonight, and she has never seen this show, and so I was nervous about her being here. And, uh, and to my memory, you said, on stage, you said, um, oh, yeah, you were saying, like, she's a cunt, right? <laughs> and I said, no, uh, no. <laughs> and, the mo- and this speaks to the level of commitment you have to a bit, no matter how subversive it is. The moment I went the direction I went, which is, oh, no, you right. <laughs> went for the jugular. You were just like, no, no. Like, you went into detail. You were literally like, no, no, you were saying to me earlier that she's a cunt, and then you talk in the show about how she's a cunt. Like, you just elaborate. You went like, okay, here's the game of the scenes. Like, all the ways in which she's a cunt. I was like, actually, uh, well, you know, I don't think, I don't see it that way. And, you know, it made me, the more, the funnier it got to you, the more it made me uncomfortable. And then, Oh my god! And then I w- and then I felt so bad for my mom. She's not a con- she's not a fan of comedy. She's not a fan <laughs> of not- my comedy. She doesn't know who you are. She doesn't even know much about my my comedy. And then after the show, I go, "Hey, mom!" I go, uh, "Did you like the show?" She goes, um, "Yeah, I liked the show. I didn't like that last part." <laughs> I didn't like that last part. I like that. That it almost implies like, well, that's part of the show. That's part that's of what the you show. Every week, <laughs> you have a guy no. come up. <laughs> Literally, the next day on the View, Joy Behar says, "I liked the show a lot. I didn't like that last part with David Cross. <laughs> she also didn't understand right. it." So my mom and Joe very both didn't understand. It. And what was amazing about it is like is like as a comedian and an improviser and a fan of yours, I was loving every second of it. But as the human being of myself, I was like, sure. this is yeah. the worst case scenario. It's uh yeah, you have mixed emotions. It's uh <laughs> um I so I don't know if I told you this because uh, I I don't have I didn't have any of that uh, perspective at all. I I knew I was going to do this thing, and um, I'm not sure. Did I know your mom was there? I I don't know. It was if the first I did. thing I said to you, but I don't think you knew previously. Yeah, okay. And I think even when I said it to you, I don't even think you knew if it was real or a bit or whatever. Right, right. I I just knew. It, I think I really took the word. Um, <laughs> Awkward as a. <laughs> it was called an awkward ten minutes with Mike. Yeah, and you took as it. like an edict. Yes. As a like, I'm supposed to make it awkward, and I thought, well, how you know, this is this should be about as awkward as it gets. Yeah. Um, and and then you're right. It was if I 
I had no choice but to commit to it. Right. Um, otherwise, it it would have collapsed. It would have felt. I think the audience would have felt terrible. At least I was the bad guy. At least I was the the fate. You were the put heel. You're in the yeah, in wrestling. The it's called the heel. Which is which is fine. Uh, but if I hadn't done that, it would have just been like a different kind of awkward and not yeah. anything anybody can enjoy. But at least they could enjoy. And I think I was. I wouldn't say I was visibly or noticeably drunk, but I had had probably four beers at that point. Yeah, so I was loose. I would say I was a yeah. little, yeah, little loose. Um, and you know, as you as you put it, it's my comic tendencies, and it it was like, let's. Well, it's not my mom. Let's go. <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah. And yeah. Uh, and also, you are uh, another thing that makes it special is you are truly and known as one of the nicest guys in comedy. You're a genuinely nice, sweet, caring person. And, and you don't, you know, you're not somebody who, uh, it's, it's antithetical to your type of comedy. Uh, yeah. so that's, I, all those things combined. I was like, Oh, I know what I'll do. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> And I did. I tr- I uh, and I mean this sincerely. I did feel bad. Uh, I I carried that around for a little bit. Like I I thought, God, I hope he's not truly upset with me uh, because it was kind of relentless. You know. Yes. It was. Uh, there were there was an early opportunity to go. No, no, no. I'm kidding. I'm so sorry, Miss Burbigli. You know, I could have done <laughs> yes. that, and I didn't. And I doubled down. And then just went. So I felt kind of like, oh boy. Um, and, and am I going to be able to justify it with like, hey, man, you told me it was awkward. Uh, but, oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, the moment we got off stage, you were like, was that, was that cool? Like, <laughs> you look literally like nothing, like as though, like, yeah, that was a bit. Now we're in life. Yeah, right, right. Oh, um. my gosh. <laughs> I have uh, maybe like a couple jokes that I was going to just run by you because the working it out show. And if you have anything, you're welcome to to throw it in as well. But uh, I just came across this this week, which is the Stanford, there's this controversial, famous study uh, called the Stanford Marshmallow Experiment that was about sort of delayed gratification where a child was offered oh, yes, a marshmallow yes. or a pretzel, yep. given the option of having two marshmallows 15 minutes later. So I'm reading about the study and I'm just thinking, I'm so hungry. I thought if I could just finish this article, I'm going to reward myself with a marshmallow. Or I could just have one right now. I mean, literally, what's stopping me other than my own pride? That's the whole joke. That's all I have. I was just free associating on the marshmallow experiment this week. Yeah, I'd I'd lose it. (laughs) Hilarious. You don't even, you think it's a non-starter. You don't even think it's like, uh, like, spend some time with it. No, I uh, I just said that to be funny. That's um, funny. I think I think there's something that the whole thing is about uh, delayed gratification. This, yes, this thing now, but it's more than delayed gratification. It's delayed gratification with a bonus because right. the experiment was you can have one marshmallow now or two, or later. two if you wait fifteen. Yeah. So maybe there's a way to make it so that you the audience can have. One punchline now. Oh, that's nice. Or two punchlines later. Oh, that's really later. fun. Or two punchlines now and four oh, punchlines later. Oh, I really later. like that. And then, then you'd have to 
find the way to bring it back around because they'll forget or maybe you have or maybe you keep delaying it so and it's under the auspices it feels like I, you haven't figured out the what the so it's gonna be one punchline now or two punchlines later yeah. and then you get to 15 minutes later maybe even set your alarm and you haven't figured it out yet. yeah so you go okay you can have two punchlines now or four punchlines later <laughs> and you just no matter what they do you go okay so we'll we'll do it in 15 minutes we'll do four punchlines and then this is where the real work comes in. You have to figure out a kind of a closing bit that has eight sequential building upon themselves punchlines oh that, that sound like punchlines wow. for the marshmallow delayed Oh, I reaction. love that. That's great. Almost like, you know, joke writer punchlines. It's funny. You know what that came out of? I was just doing research on it because I think like thematically what my show is developing into is posing this question about myself, which is like, I'm in middle age and I keep having these like issues with like my breathing. Like I don't breathe, you know, I failed the pulmonary test and I ended up a few years ago, I had type two diabetes. I reversed it, but like, like I just like struggle with all these things. And it's like this thing where it's like, it asks this question, why do we make the wrong decisions when we know what the right decisions are? Mm -hmm. And so, and yeah. Yeah, that's about, you know, lack of willpower and and wanting the satisfaction now, and you justify it. You know, yeah. you somehow justify it, and then when you get to that thing, like, oh, I have to now. I have to have. Uh, I have to. I can't eat eggs and cheese anymore, or I have to have two root canals, or yeah. whatever the thing is. Um, I don't know. It's it 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 clearly shows you the makeup of who you are that how far you're willing to do that and how how far you're willing to go to prevent it you know do you feel like you think about that question a lot yeah i mean in in more of a vague sense sure yeah, yeah. uh um i like i know that i drink more than i should i I'm not an alcoholic, but I, and when I get to points where I'm like, oh man, I, I, I'm drinking too much. I need to take a couple days off and I can, and I do, and I don't like it. It's actually, I shouldn't say I don't like it. I just don't, I get, you know, uh, I, I sit there and go, why am I not drinking again? I'm, this is day three. <laughs> I, and, you know, which is the justification that somebody Why am I not use. drinking again? <laughs> um, and and I feel like it's the one thing where I'm like I'm I need to. This is justification. This yeah, is my, yeah, of course. Uh, brain coming up with the the thing that allows me to keep drinking is um, I know I'll let it get so bad I'll have no choice but to stop. You know. <laughs> like, oh, that's interesting. Like, that's yes. a thing that yes. I thought without the without the laughing part. You know, is like. Which is absurd. It's childish. It's immature. It's uh, 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 certainly impractical. But um, yeah, this idea, like, I'll just let it go as as if nothing bad would happen between that thought and then having to go into rehab or something. Right. I'll just you have know, five. Just like, I'll just have five marshmallows. <laughs> yeah. And then I'll know that that's definitely too many marshmallows. <laughs> that's Yeah. And then I'll know. And then I'll stop having marshmallows for two weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you have any bits that you're working on that you or that are sort of half baked or or in early stages? Uh, I got tons. Okay, um, 
okay. The, this isn't it, this isn't really a bit yet. I I did it once on stage, and and all my writing, unfortunately, for better or worse, is done on stage. Uh, and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But it's the idea of uh, that we we should put Trump on the penny because <laughs> it, it would make because it would be the ultimate kind of practical joke disc because uh he would he would go like and it's perfect for trump and it's like he's on american money like he's made it but it's it's nobody likes pennies right everybody hates them people even throw them away yeah practically garbage yeah they're garbage but he would still go like i'm on the penny and he couldn't get upset <laughs> like so he to him he'd be like look uh, i made it i love that <laughs> i'm on the penny and everybody else would be like of course trump's on the penny he's a, he's worthless he's worth the yes, penny yes. you know he's not um i would rather have coupons let's put trump on coupons or <laughs> you know uh so it was this thing that i just i i couldn't find yes uh, but it was that idea oh i like that <laughs> uh, this is not something I have done yet, but it's um, it's always lurking in the back of my mind because my wife is much more romantic than I am. Uh, um, I know it because she mentions it a lot, but her <laughs> ideal situation sit- scenario is breakfast in bed. Yeah, and, it, and to me, uh, that's outrageously awful. I hate <laughs> the idea. I don't understand at all the attraction to waking up yeah and just having food in front of you yeah. and then it's just it's just goes against every fiber of yes. like being yes. like um and i and it's and i i don't want to judge but i can't help judge like that's the laziest fucking most <laughs> sabritic thing i can think uh. of and uh and but you know if i'm going to make this romantic gesture i have to just you know uh do it you have to engage it's in it just, yeah you know it's it the act of it is just so disgusting and abhorrent to me i don't know i don't know if this is something like if i was on stage i would be riffing you know. i relate to her in the, your story i relate to her i think breakfast in bed is an amazing feeling and the reason why <laughs> i can't I'm this, just visualizing we it. We will we will ask <laughs> we will ask the commenters on social media which way they go, thumbs up or thumbs down for breakfast in bed. I'm pro breakfast in bed partly because okay, so you're just waking up, like you're just coming into the consciousness of your day mm-hmm. and then you have like on your taste buds like coffee that I like which I love or like toast which I love or whatever it is, like butter french toast whatever it is like there's it seems like so maybe maybe i should wake her up by pouring coffee in her mouth <laughs> sure that would be there'd be no bridge there then yeah you yeah would, you would uh, uh, you know you'd wake up to right coffee scalding and, coffee all over her <laughs> not, body. not yeah, scalding yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. not scalding and uh <laughs> and you know shoving a, a croissant in there like open up and uh um i Okay, I I understand like waking up and be like ah, and then you know almost immediately you've got this yeah you know great tray of food. But why can't you wait like twenty seconds and just you can put a robe on and move over to the table? No. 
the last thing that we do is called working it out for a cause. And if you have a, a group organization that you think is doing a good job, I will donate to them and then I'll link to them in the show notes. I would say right now, I kind of go back and forth, but I always come back to these guys, but the uh, ACLU yeah. is uh, over the years is one of the ones I keep going back to because it just so they do so much good work for, you know, it's hard and quite often thankless. Well, I'm going to I'm going to donate to the ACLU and I'm going to link to them in the show notes and encourage other people to uh to donate as well. And thanks for doing this. Uh I encourage people Absolutely. to watch your special, see you when you're out on tour again and I just uh have been I've admired your work for so long. I feel so very lucky to know you and thanks for doing well, same this. Same here, Mike. Same here and always a pleasure to see you and hopefully we'll be able to do it in person next time. Working it out cuz it's not done. We're working it out, there's no... That's going to do it for another episode of Working It Out. That's David Cross. I'm so glad we finally had David. We've been talking about trying to get David to come on for a while. Uh, such an amazingly funny and talented, just a wildly talented person. He's a one-of-a-kind person. You can watch his new special on officialdavidcross.com. You can follow him on Twitter at at David Cross with three S's, which is not how it's spelled. Uh, our producers of Working It Out are myself along with Peter Zalamone and Joseph Berbiglia. Consulting producer Seth Barish. Sound mix by Kate Belinsky. Associate producer Mabel Lewis. Special thanks to my consigliere Mike Berkowitz as well as Marissa Hurwitz and Joshua Fall. Special thanks to Jack Antonoff and Bleachers for their music that <laughs> they're on tour. It's selling out like crazy to the point where Joe Berbiglia called me yesterday to say, can you help me get tickets to the Bleachers concert in Boston? So, Jack, if you're listening. As always, a very special thanks to my wife, the poet J-Hope Stein. Our book is called The New One. We were just nominated uh, to be semifinalists in, uh, the, for the Thurber Prize in American humor. It's, it's a huge honor. The Thurber House in Columbus, Ohio is a beloved institution. If you haven't been there before, absolutely visit it. If you're, if you're a literary wonk, you'll love it. I loved it. Uh, our book, The New One, is in your local bookstore. Support your local bookstore. As always, a special thanks to my daughter, Una, who created our original radio fort made of pillows. Thanks most of all to you who are listening. I appreciate it. I notice in the Apple podcast when you write the little user review, just go on there. Just say, hey, my favorite episode was David Cross. Hey, my favorite episode was Mo Ammer. My favorite episode was John Mulaney. Uh, just put in, you know, put in an episode you like. I liked when the Lucas Brothers were on. I liked it when Natasha Leone was on. I liked it when Bill Hader was on. It doesn't matter. Whatever. Whatever episode you enjoyed it means a lot to us if you put that in and spread the word because of what you know or 60 or 70 episodes at this point people i don't even know if people will know where to start ira glass would be another good one to start with so tell your friends mention it to your enemies i mean look let's say you're playing tennis at your local uh your local outdoor tennis courts and someone uh keeps hitting a ball into your court and it reaches a point where you just go, is this on purpose? I mean, what, the, I mean, what are you doing? I mean, you, your court's over there. My court's over here. You just keep hitting your ball in, into my court. I mean, so then you walk over, you know, hey, look. Hey, look, sir. Um, 
There's this comedy podcast I really enjoy. It's called Working It Out, and I think you'd really enjoy it. Here's your ball. We're working it out. See you next time, everybody.